All right, you ready? Do we need yeah. to do a three, two, one? I liked when Dan Tudor did that. That made a lot more sense than your weird claps. Mm -hmm. But what if your like script has three, two, one in it? Then it gets confusing, you know. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode number 22 of the Admissions Director's Lunchcast. I'm your host, Nathan Ament, Vice President of Enrollment Management at Loyola University, New Orleans, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Tej Matil, Interim Assistant Vice President for Admission at DePaul University. Tej, how are you? Nathan, each day is better than the last. Well, that's a very positive outlook. Tiggy. I am really great since we're discussing transformation. See how I got back on the script there? I just don't want to disappoint our listeners. I'm really great because we're discussing transfer admissions, and we've got some great guests to help us out. Tej, why don't you remind folks about how this works? Sure. Uh, each week, Nathan and I will bring in two guests, one influencer, one practitioner, to discuss a topic that is directly related to recruitment and admission. Our hope, our grand vision, our dream for this conversation is that by the end of today at your lunch hour, you, the listener, will have a good enough handle on this topic that you can start implementing new tactics quickly, perhaps as even as early as this afternoon. So who will be joining us this week to discuss transfer admissions? Oh, man, Nathan, as our influencer guest, we have a rock star. We have Andre Richberg, the director of enrollment services management consultant at CampusWorks in the Lehigh Valley region of Pennsylvania. And as our practitioner guest, we have Nick DeFalco, Director of Transfer Admissions at North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. Tej, I'm excited. Let's get going. Well, Tej, this should be a really great episode. Transfer admissions is something I know we've wanted to talk about um, since kind of the beginning of when we started the podcast, um, but we thought given how the calendar worked out with season three, this is typically the time of year that we're all starting to think about transfer admissions, but probably shouldn't, probably actually should think about Correct. it a little bit sooner. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, I think we're going to, that's a couple of the topics we actually are discussing with two of our guests. Um, today. So what are some of your thoughts about these upcoming interviews? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing from uh, Nick a lot more about the actual engagement he has with um, prospective transfer students coming into his college. Uh, I've always um, been a little surprised. I went from one institution to another and the second institution really relied heavily on transfer students. It was about, um, I would say, a quarter to a third of our incoming class every year. And I remember just being amazed at how much more um, customer service and attention and handholding transfer students needed um, than traditional students. It really kind of surprised me. Uh, it doesn't anymore. Now I know to expect it, of course, but uh, that stood out to me. And I'm excited to hear from Nick uh, a little bit more about his thoughts on uh, how he engages with uh, prospective students. 
Yeah, I am as well. He has a he has an uh, athletic background, I believe, and we talked about that at the top of his interview. Um, and that makes a ton of sense um, to me because of how you really have to be individualized with athletic recruitment. And it's a lot of the same concepts and tactics that you use with athletic recruitment versus transfer recruitment um, because they all have very specific requirements and needs and they want to know how their credits transfer in, of course, and then they do um, – they do need their hands held through the process. Um, but at the same time, I think that's partly a, <laughs> it's partly the fault of the university because there's so many universities that are not transfer friendly and mm-hmm. they have to jump through a lot of barriers and don't have a path set up um, to enter the university in the middle of uh, a, a, a four year path or something like that. So um, I think it's, it becomes all more important for, transfer admissions folks, um, and then directors who oversee transfer admissions efforts to recognize that and that they have to have good staff members. And Nick is yep. definitely in that category. I think I'm, I'll probably do a little, uh, I'll probably spoil it here a little bit for the interview, but he did win an award um, at mm-hmm. the national level, and he's going to talk about that. Um, so I'm just excited for his perspective. So uh, let's yep. talk a little bit about Go ahead. He is a championship uh, worthy transfer professional. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. He is. Let's talk a little bit about Andre um, yeah. and, and that interview. Um, that was a guest that you invited, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to know uh, Andre. He preceded me in the president cycle at, at NACAC, um, or well, in the president's council for NACAC uh, mm-hmm. from our ACACs, but just by a couple of years. And I got to know him that way. And, um, He's just, uh, I, I kind of insinuated him as a, a rock star at the beginning of the of the setup. And, and he is that. He knows transfer admissions through and through. He's been on every side of the desk about it, both at the community college, a four-year school, and now on the on the, the vendor side. Um, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear us talk a little bit about some of the biggest barriers uh, that exist to having this process work better for prospective students. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then I think he's also done some interim work at, a, at some four-year institutions, so he mm-hmm. sees it, um, how you can, you need to bring in transfer students um, to the four-year. So I think the perspectives that he, he provided when we chatted with him were, were invaluable. Yeah. So I'm excited for that interview. All right. Well, that's enough of us. I think we should just get right to it here. We've set these up plenty. So um, here's our conversations with our influencer guest, Andre Richberg, and then our conversation with our practitioner guest, Nick DeFalco. As always, we hope you enjoy these discussions, and we'll see you on the other side. Well, Tej, I'm really excited to welcome our guest on this transfer admissions episode. Andre Richberg joins us as Director of Enrollment Services Management Consultant at Campus Works. He's bro- located in the Lehigh Valley region of Pennsylvania, though. Andre, welcome to the Lunchcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, we're really glad to have you. 
Um, if you could give um, our listeners a little bit of your background, um, I know you and I have connected um, through the multiple NACAC networks, but um, just give folks a little bit of your background and how you got into your into your current role. Sure. So I've been in the profession of enrollment management for now into my 19th year, which is crazy to, to, to think about. Um, I started my career, I have done most of my career in New Jersey uh, up until 2017 when I came over to Pennsylvania. Um, and I've worked at a multitude of institutions, um, including small private uh, colleges, as well as community colleges, where I've spent probably half of my career at three different community colleges. Um, I've also served served a number of leadership positions, including chief enrollment officer, as well as serving in an interim VP role for a few months. Um, and I've worked with all students that you think of that walk across our campuses and um, really feel passionate about the work that I do specifically related to community college students, transfer students, um, and even even more so uh, marginalized populations. Well, and currently in my, my role, I'm, I'm consulting for a, a college in Canada, actually, that um, is very similar to a, a U.S. community college in, in helping build out um, their enroll, strategic enrollment plan. That's fantastic. And Andre, I've really, when I was connecting with you at NACAC, uh, you were really such a strong advocate for community college students and the transfer process. So um, I know that you've got a lot to say about what four-year institutions need to do differently uh, when it comes to serving um, transfer students. Um, I I just want to start with uh, what I think is a a layup question for you. Um, Where are we missing an opportunity to serve students better? From a from a four year school standpoint to attract transfer students, um, I I think the draw the ball has been dropped for a number of years, um, but I think now it's 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 not until recent years, maybe the past three or four years, that that four year schools have recognized the importance that transfer students play um, as a not only as part of you know their enrollment and meeting enrollment goals, but also the diversification of experiences uh, for their student body. You know, um, so many years, you know, when we get into June and July and we see that our first year students uh, goal may not be met, you know, all of a sudden the light goes off to say, oh, wait, we've got these transfer students that we can bring in and fill in um, over the summer. And I, I think that's a slap in the face to transfer students. You know, one thing Transfer students already have at least two years of a college experience under their belt. So that makes them viable candidates and clearly they can do the work and they will be important parts of a four-year campus community, um, having shown success at the college level already. Um, So to me, why would you not want to put them at the forefront of your priorities when it comes to meeting enrollment goals? Um, but also looking at the experiences that they already have um, in higher education. Uh, so I really, I really think that there are a lot of schools who need to do a lot of learning about what's taking place at the community college level, where there have been initiatives put in place to better prepare students for transfer life. And once that education happens, um, and once folks broaden their knowledge about the student success initiatives that are taking place at our thousand plus community colleges across the country, I think there'll be a better sense and greater commitment put towards putting transfer students more at the forefront of 
enrollment goal priorities across the board. I love everything you said, and I'm glad you're saying it because I think more of us need to listen, especially on the four-year side. Um, mm -hmm. uh, when we're trying to recruit these students, um, I think one of the first things we think about, though, um, let's move up a little bit further in the funnel on how we're trying to get them into our college. One of the first things we're thinking about is these articulation agreements. So let's talk about articulation agreements for the, for a minute. I, I don't know if that's a good subject or a bad subject, <laughs> Andre, but um, let's, let's get into it a little bit here that I feel that we feel that sometimes it doesn't lead um, directly to the source of um, the student. It's really hard to kind of track that back um, as something that actually works um, just based on the natural flow and kind of the, how it works with transfer recruitment. Um, mm -hmm. How can, but how can four-year colleges do better with that? How can four-year colleges know when they're creating these series of articulation agreements, um, what will actually benefit um, our enrollment um, on the four-year side and, and what won't? Because I got to tell you, the articulation agreements, as you know, firsthand, they're a lot of work. <laughs> you know, it takes a yeah. lot of effort, um, both in enrollment um, and in academic affairs. So would love your perspective on that. Yeah. So in my experiences, the, the biggest piece is updating those articulation agreements. I mean, you go to so many websites and you go to the transfer page and you look at the articulation agreements and you'll see an agreement from 10 years ago, which is clearly outdated. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big thing that folks need to make sure that are up to date uh, because you don't want to, you know, kind of dash students hopes um, with thinking that, you know, courses that they're going to take are going to seamlessly go to the four-year school that they're aspiring to go to and they get to that information and you see at the bottom that it was established in, you know, 2011. Um, so, you know, there needs to be a conscious effort to keep those things up to date. Secondly, um, as part of enrollment management goals and strategies and as committees are built out um, that speak to articulation agreements, faculty need to have a voice around the table. I think things have gotten a lot better um, in regards to who's around the table from a strategic enrollment management planning standpoint, but most and particularly when it comes to articulation agreement, it is a very academic heavy piece. And so there needs to be that faculty voice to speak about how classes are going to be seamlessly transferable or accepted, especially from the community college to the four-year school. It's, sometimes it, it's a little bit more stringent. So I think that really needs to, um, that, that needs to be a major part of the planning out of these articulation agreements. Um, I was part of putting something like that together, um, my time working at one of the community colleges in, in New Jersey, <clears throat> where we knew that it would be a win-win for both our enrollment from a community college standpoint and for the four-year school that we were working with. Because if we told, if we informed students that they basically had a guaranteed seat as a transfer student to that four-year school, and as that grew, um, it, it would have a, a positive impact on both schools enrollment. Um, but it's got to be something that's really tight and, and completely transparent with, with these students. Um, you know, there's no need for us to pull the, the wool over the, the eyes of our students. Everything needs to be laid out very transparently. Um, and if it's not, then we're, we're, we are, we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage 
and we're doing a huge disservice to our students, especially to our community college students. Those and those tend to be are a lot more needy students um, who need to, who need to have their hands held and really need to have things clearly laid out for them um, throughout the full process. Um, and I'll say the last piece to this is, you know, a lot of times the transfer counselor at either the four year school or at the community college is over inundated because usually there's one person mm -hmm. working on articulation agreements and transfer agreements. And it's very similar to some of our uh, secondary school counselors who are um, dealing with a heavy caseload that's probably too overwhelming for them. And so, um, you know, we owe it to ourselves to put more uh, personnel um, in those seats so that we don't put the full responsibility just on one or two individuals to carry out these types of uh, agreements um, if we want things done right. So I think that's another piece that is really important in this particular this particular instance, again, to, to serve students at a, at a better level. Um, so they are, they don't have to just rely on one person for, for information. And if something happens to that person or if that person's out on vacation, then that student misses out on an opportunity possibly um, because there's no one else that they can go to. Andre, can I just press you on that a little bit from the four-year college side? Um, so often it feels like we, we will put in a lot of work to keep, to create and then keep these articulation agreements current. But uh, on our end, it's, it's often difficult to see the, the connection between that work and students coming through. But you, you have seen it from the other from the other side, from the community college side. Can you help us um, better understand or have confidence that that work is um, paying off uh, relative to other things we could be doing? Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, well, you kind of you kind of hit on it um, a little bit with part of the question, which is how are we tracking? How are students being tracked? Um, you know, you think about, you know, uh, the behemoth that Slate has become. Um, you know, this it, there's easy is an easy way to add a tag um, that will allow folks at the four year school to know that certain students are coming through to them from an articulation agreement. Um, as we become a lot more sophisticated in the way that we track our students, that's gonna that's gonna be something that's that's necessary as well if four-year schools are going to uh, pay more attention to transfer students and realize the importance that, that, that they are, um, again, not only to enrollment, but to the overall community of that particular campus. So, um, but I'm sure, you know, other CRMs, you can, you can still have that type of tag on, on that student. Mm -hmm. And so then you're able to see, you know, okay, we're getting X amount of students from this community community college through articulation agreements. And maybe you start adding that into your enrollment goals. You start adding that into your KPIs and make it a full blown part of your enrollment, your strategic enrollment initiatives. Um, but I, I think where we are right now and that's not happening, there's a long way to go for that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's that that's part of, it, it needs to start at the level of, okay, how do we, how do we tag these students? And then how do we build off um, who's coming through those particular pipe pipelines. Um, and that, again, that's, that's, that will be the springboard. Um, of course, 
you know, these things take time to measure, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I always go by a three-year measurement, right? You got to do something for three years to see if it's working or not, right? One year to, one year to, to plan it, two years to have it be executed, three year to third year to assess its validity, and then you reassess from there. Mm -hmm. That that's a really good lesson for for all of us. That three year rule, uh, yeah. separate from transfer admissions, right? Just generally, right. Andre, I want to take a different twist on this. I think, um, you know, at conferences and professional development experiences. We, we talk a lot about uh, what four-year colleges and what two-year colleges need to do differently to better serve students. Uh, but in transitioning to four-year students, um, what do students need to do differently and how can we all help them um, get there? That's a good question. I mean, some of, the, some of the things that a transfer student needs to do to learn about the four-year school that they're looking at is similar to what we expect some of our high school students to do before they embark on their college search uh, journey, right? And so as these community college student success initiatives are put more into place, there's a message there right from the start of we need to know what your journey is going to be like fully, not not your journey from when you enter our door to when you get your associate's degree. But we need to we need to know what you want your journey to be from day one all the way through to when you get when you're getting your bachelor's degree and even through getting your master's degree, if you want to take it that far. And so that goes along with the um, initiative that has spread over the past probably almost 10 years now, which is Guided Pathways. Guided Pathways was instituted um, to build a clearer guidance for community college students who have plans to transfer um, and have more personalized engagement uh, about their career aspirations and their educational aspirations from an earlier standpoint. Again, another piece of enrollment planning was is adding that uh, retention side to enrollment, which wasn't the case when I first started in this career in 2003, where you know retention was just pushed off to student affairs, right? And so, if you take a look at how this guided pathways initiative is working, there are different iterations of it too. It may not be called guided pathways, but many many cop community colleges are participating in some participating in some form of it, then you get the students buy-in about, okay, now I understand more about how I need to better prepare myself to be a viable candidate to XYZ uh, four-year institution down the road, because now I've got a full family of people on campus who have dedicated themselves to provide um, this healthy and clearer pathway for me um, through the next three, four, five years. Um, and so as long as it is shown on the side of you know, staff and faculty, it will make it a lot easier for students to be engaged and be serious about what their next step is gonna be and where they wanna go next. And that goes back to what I said about four-year schools needing to learn about these initiatives that are taking place at the community colleges so then they have a better understanding of how 
well-prepared and better prepared transfer students are than they were in the past, you know, going back 15, 20 years ago, because community colleges realized that the sector was, you know, uh, the, sec the sector had a stigma, right? It had a stigma since the conception back in the 19, late 1950s, uh, early 1960s of, of being lesser than and a low, low quality mm -hmm. institution. Um, and so in order to break that stigma, the realization came about for needing to be taken a lot more seriously. And I think we've broken through that. Um, and I think that 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 really started back in 2008, 2009. Um, we went through the 2008 recession uh, when President Obama started talking about free community colleges. It, it started really it started a lot more real conversations with families and, and with many other folks who may not ever had those types of conversations before. And then from there, things started to take off from a more strategic level from community colleges. To, and as they realized that there needed to be a lot more effort put into how they targeted students and then how they personalized their messages and personalized their engagement with them in order to recruit them and then also to keep them and then also to get them to graduate and transfer successfully to their, their next institution. Um, so again, it's it, it really, I know your question was basically, you know, how will students be better prepared for you know, life transferring to a four-year school, but it really works both ways from the student side and the folks working with them mm -hmm. um, who are leading them at the community college. Andre, this has been just a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. We always like to uh, finish with just two closing questions. Uh, what are you working on next? And for folks who are listening who want to get in touch with you to continue the conversation, how can they find you? Sure. So... I actually just started a doctoral program last semester. Um, I'm pursuing uh, an EDD in education policy um, at Westchester University here in Pennsylvania. And as of right now, because now that I just started my second semester and I know things could change, but as of right now, um, my research is going to be um, the success of BIPOC students who transfer from community college to four-year four-year institutions. Okay. And the research that I have found so far has been quite plentiful and, and, and eye-opening. So as I move forward, I, I'm looking forward to crafting that more and, and um, uh, telling and telling more of a story about uh, successes of transfer students uh, coming from marginalized populations and how they could be more successful when they transfer to, to four-year schools. Um, my people can contact me on LinkedIn, just on Andre Richburg. Um, I'm on, I'm the only other social media I'm on is, is Instagram and that's Dre Day 78. Um, and then my email address is uh, richburga at yahoo.com. Andre, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Well, Tej, I'm really excited to welcome our practitioner guest to this transfer admissions episode. Nick DeFalco comes to us from North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. Nick, welcome to the Lunchcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. 
Nick, if you could give us a background a little bit and how you got into your current position as director of transfer admissions and uh, anything else you want to tell us a little bit about your journey into higher ed. Yeah, absolutely. Like like most people in, in higher ed, it, it, it comes from a common start of earning a bachelor's degree in elementary or secondary education, uh, trying that for a little bit and realizing maybe that's not the best fit for me and uh, exploring what else in the world can I do with this education degree and this teaching certificate. Uh, I also was a coach, so I really loved working with students and tried to find another application that I could coach and counsel and advise and mentor. And I came back to my alma mater, North Central, and ended up talking with the director of career development and opened my eyes to this whole world of higher education that I didn't know really existed as a career opportunity. Uh, interviewed for a job as a transfer admission counselor and have been working ever since in this same kind of position, the same industry, same institution. We're going to jump right in here to the questions about transfer admission. You know, why should transfer admissions be an important part of the overall recruitment strategy? I think Tej and I both know the answer to that question, and we really value transfer admissions. But from your point of view, um, as one of the senior leaders in the enrollment office there at North Central, um, would love to hear your perspective on that question. Yeah, I think you can look at it a couple different ways. If you're looking at, as, as we are at North Central and in Illinois, and, and frankly, in lots of parts of the country, helping to solve enrollment struggles, you're looking for additional pockets of students to, to meet goals and to get your head count up. So the whole transfer population does help with that. I know we all are familiar with the infamous cliff that Graw talks about, um, that institutions really should be if they're not already looking for these alternative avenues to enroll their class as we get to the, the middle and later part of the decade. So. Uh, and Illinois, even beyond that, we have not just the, the issues with the, the birth rate decline from the recession, but we also have other demographic shifts like negative net migration, increased competition from out of state. A couple of years ago, we had almost half of the high school, Illinois high school graduating class leave to go out of state, uh, increased competition from the workforce. So uh, there's a lot of reasons that there's concerns, as there should be, on how are we going to enroll this class. And when we look at the transfer side of the house, 80% of community college students intend on transferring and only 30% end up doing that and 15% end up earning their bachelor's degree in six years. So here we have an opportunity for really quite substantial growth uh, if we're looking at the transfer population to help in with our enrollment struggles. Now, even beyond that, transfers are more important than just numbers, right? They offer racial, ethnic, socioeconomic diversity to your class. They retain and persist at a higher rate than current students. Uh, they usually perform just as good, if not better, than current students. Uh, and if that's not enough for you, a lot of times transfer students do help with a little bit with the uh, net tuition revenue, as they historically seem to have a, a lower discount rate. Um, so helps a little bit with the financial side of, of the house as well. Nick, the, the numbers you talk about always, um, I feel like they just vex us as an industry. We should be doing better if 80% of community college students intend to transfer, but only 30% do and only 15% are in the degree. What I, I know I'm going off book here on the questions and I apologize. What can we in the admissions profession do better to improve those numbers? Yeah, the biggest thing, I think everyone, whether you are at a four-year, public, private, two-year, the whole concept of creating a culture of transfer champions on campus is vital because once you have a thoughtful like, cross-departmental team of individuals that are working with transfers and just thinking actively about the transfer population, you start identifying and removing barriers at a higher rate. 
and you start valuing research, uh, which we can do really across the industry, even when we look at higher education firms and governmental agencies, of having more research on transfer students because we've really only scratched the surface about understanding this population. Uh, and I, I mean, removing barriers can be as simple as industry jargon, institutional lingo and processes. I mean, think about every institution, you're going to pay a bill, right? You might, you might be going to the cashier, you might be going to the business office, you might be going to student accounts, you might be going to financial aid, you might be going to the bursar. I mean, it's like even something as simple mm -hmm. as that mm -hmm. might not make sense to a student that is coming from a community college that had completely different lingo, completely different processes. They're maybe first generation, they have no one to support them. So even at the most basic level, we're removing barriers by having this culture of people that are thinking about transfer students. Everything else starts to fall into place after that. That's, that's a really good point. And the, the culture of transfer champions, I think, is a good way to think about it. It, it moves well, I think, to the next question uh, in my mind, which is, what is different about transfer recruitment than first-year recruitment? Yeah, I think transfer students, in one way, it's really wonderful that they're so pragmatic. They're so practical in their search. They cast a, a much smaller net. So you know when they're inquiring about your institution that they're very serious about it. They're not applying typically to you know six, eight, ten different schools. Uh, they've done their research probably out of high school, or they have a very set parameters that they're looking at. And so when they're coming to your institution, they're coming with something very specific in mind. You know, how do my courses transfer? How much will it cost? How soon can I graduate? Not to overgeneralize, but if you can answer those three questions well, you're going to find a high success rate with transfer recruitment. And while a traditional first-year student, they might benefit immensely from things like an overnight visit or uh, things of that nature, the transfer student probably is going to benefit more from a one-on-one -on -one meeting to talk about their individual major, their individual financial situation, providing them a transcript evaluation so they know how their courses transfer over to your institution and they map out with your unique gen eds and your degree plan. Uh, those are things that they're really going to value in their search that should be part of your recruitment strategy. Uh, they're also going to be more concerned about graduation requirements, very specific internship or career outcomes as they're getting closer to finishing their degree than a, than a first year student would. Um, and I think it's also important to note, this is a little bit off topic, I guess, or a different direction, but these students also have to be self-starters. The high school students in a lot of ways have other people to assist them. While they still have, I'm sure, a high population of first generation students, they have their high school teachers that seem to be more involved in what are they doing after graduation. They have an assigned guidance counselor that seems very concerned about what they're doing after graduation. They have peers that are thinking about what happens after graduation. Transfer students, in a lot of ways, just kind of float out there at the community college. The academic advisors have huge, huge caseloads of students that they're working with. Uh, and not everyone has a set defined path of, oh, I'm going to community college and now I'm going to get a four-year bachelor's degree. So if they want to go down that road, a lot of times they have to self-identify. They have to do the legwork. And I think it's important for institutions to know that uh, that this population that's probably indicative of those 80, 30, 15 number is that it's going to take a little extra work uh, and thoughtful plan from the institutions, the four institutions, to help seek out and create resources to guide students through this uh, roadmap that they've created towards getting a degree. Nick, can I drill down on something you just said, which I think I know I've struggled with at institutions that I've worked on, worked with, um, and that's specific to the articulating of the credits, like mm -hmm. which which credits transfer in. And that's usually something that cannot be done 
exclusively in the admissions office. Usually you have to have a partner in the academic affairs office. And whether that's somebody in the registrar's office, there's another name that nobody knows, right? About higher ed, (laughs) another term, Um, but in the registrar's office, or if that's done specifically with an academic advisor in a specific major department or even a college at a larger institution. Um, Can you give us an example or um, talk a little bit about how you've been able to be successful in forming those relationships so that you can bridge that gap between the admissions office and academic affairs? Yeah, we have a, we're pretty fortunate at North Central that we have a great working relationship with the registrar's office and they provide an update annually, different uh, transfer guides, or you can call them articulation guides or course substitution guides for about 20 or so community colleges in Illinois. So we can see their entire catalog and exactly how it transfers to North Central. We put it on our website, so it's some great self-advising tools for community college students. Um, but as we can sit down and go over those with the students, it empowers us as, as admission counselors and as, and as recruiters to be able to act as kind of pseudo-advisors and say, okay, this is what you've done. This is where you're at. This is where you need to go. And if you have some additional time before starting here, we can see exact exactly what classes you would need to take for maybe a major or an outstanding general education requirement. And we can help find you that exact equivalent at the community college so you don't waste time and money. Um, and so it's nice to be able to, to have that priority that our registrar's office values updating that every every year, just as they valued investing in transferology. Um, as I think those self-advising tools are really important to students as they navigate uh, and narrow down their search, but then also does empower your academic advisors and your transfer counselors and recruiters to be able to give them very accurate information on how those classes are transferring with, with a high degree of certainty. Yeah. And then it continues to build that trust and relationship with you and the student, right? So that they feel like they have an advocate within the institution and that you're helping them to your point about how they feel like they're kind of on their own compared to a high school student. Um, and I, I see that that also just helps to build the recruitment process and immediately they know who to go to, um, at that point that you can help them interpret all that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and after, after they enroll here, sometimes that's, that is a difficult part as you've, well, you don't maybe right. have as long of a relationship as a first year recruiter does. Um, and maybe not as an emotional one as they are going to college for the first time. Um, but you do have a very trust, you build a huge sense of trust between the, the two parties. And when they enroll here, sometimes it is a little difficult with that handoff to advising right. a residence life or student affairs because they know they've come to you for accurate advice constantly over whatever that recruitment cycle has been. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's an issue that, that we, we deal with, as I'm sure a lot of institutions do, of, of it's not as, as seamless as a handoff as you'd like, but for a good reason, you've built a really great relationship and one, and one built on trust. So maybe this leads me into our final question here um, about just doing better by these students. I think we all need to recognize that we that we can do better regardless of the type of institution that we are, whether we're a two year, four year um, school or even, you know, politicians, I guess at some point it seems like transfer admissions is always or the free community college has been batted around even at the national level. Um, but where do you see if we could give you, you know, 30 seconds here to kind of get on your transfer soapbox? Yeah. <laughs> um, where do you see opportunities for us all to work together to help this specific population of students? Yeah, as, as I as I referenced before, I think investing in that culture of transfer champions on campus, creating 
a cross-departmental team that meets regularly is so huge because you've already taken the first step of, okay, we're going to take a vested interest in investigating this population and how we can best support them. I think removing barriers, like I mentioned, is huge. That will be a byproduct of that, looking at the jargon and lingo and processes. Uh, emphasis in financial literacy. I think there's so much bad news out there about sticker shock and loan aversion and default mm -hmm. rates and things like that, that I think educating the population on why it's a worthy investment, what is the difference between a gross and a net and an out-of-pocket price, how do payment plans work, how does FAFSA really work? I think that financial literacy piece is really important, especially for the transfer population. Uh, addressing the, the credit transfer issues uh, and then also identifying the barrier, which is a, a lack of connection to the campus community. This is really an invisible peer group they're entering into. There's no badge that says, oh, I'm a transfer student, me too. We have this shared experience. Let's go through it together. Uh, and at most colleges, there's little to no clubs or organizations to support this population. Lack of a, a transfer year experience or a transfer seminar course. Lack of transfer peer mentors or living learning communities. So in every different avenue, prior to enrollment and after enrollment, we can recognize that all these barriers might exist at your institution. And now what can we do to help reverse that trend? And I think the last part is to think about other agencies, even outside of higher education, where I mentioned we're kind of scratching the surfaces with, 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 uh, with research. I know some organizations I've been a part of, uh, PICU, which is private Illinois colleges and universities. We conducted a survey of about 1,100 transfer students that went to private schools in Illinois to try to get a better sense of what are your communication preferences? What are the pain points in your transfer? What can we do better? Give us advice. And I think those kind of surveys statewide or institutionally, both for your incoming students, your first year transfer students, your graduating semester students, is going to help you really identify where your shortfalls are and what you can be doing better. Uh, and I think that research component is, is so crucial to truly understanding, not just anecdotally, where the opportunities for growth are. And it gives you data. I think if we're going to do any of these things and connect some of these dots with some of these initiatives, it's going to take resources. <laughs> Obviously, it's going yeah. to take budget. Um, but if you are trying to move the needle on that on a college campus and bridge the gap between either student affairs and enrollment or uh, academic affairs and enrollment um, and trying to create uh, a, a few more resources for this um, invisible peer group, as you called it, um, you know, having that data and having those needs that surveyed across a lot of different schools um, throughout your state or your region or wherever you're at, I think will help make the case for that instead of just being anecdotal. I really like what you said about um, helping create um, a, like a transfer seminar or like an entrance course um, for transfer students um, and even doing some things in student affairs. I think where I always fall down is I think that's not my duck right? <laughs> That's not an enrollment. I got a lot to worry about. That ain't one of them. But um, I think at the end, it actually would be a payoff for enrollment managers and enrichments directors to care about that, because that's going to help obviously with retention, which is a, you know, backdoor into your numbers that you're going to have to bring every year. If your retention's not good, then you have to bring in more kids. But also it will help with the recruitment process. Kids, I'm guessing you probably can make throughout the recruitment process, you can start to make those connections earlier when you're recruiting those students. And then they are going to realize that they have resources available to, to them on that campus, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 
while your primary target that you're recruiting are, are the students, right? You're also in a lot of ways recruiting their family and you're also recruiting yep. academic advisors and transfer coordinators at the community college. And if they know that you're going to support those, their students when they enter there, uh, not just with lip service, but you actually have set, you know, organizations and clubs and transfer seminar and mentors to support their students, they're going to be a lot more likely to recommend your institution to future students. Yeah. That's really great advice. Well, Nick, this has been a great conversation as always. Um, we like to ask you the last two questions. We ask everybody that comes on the LunchCast, what cool thing are you working on next? And then how can folks get in touch with you should they want to continue the conversation? Yeah, for us, we, we recently this past year started an institution-wide transfer task force. Uh, this turned into this kind of standing committee that has faculty as a part of it. So it does make some of those things like uh, transfer seminars and things like that a little bit easier to, to accomplish than just coming out of enrollment. Um, so we've been focusing a lot on building pathways and partnerships and agreements with local community colleges and taking a really unique approach at it, in my opinion, not just creating a simple two plus two, for example, where it's all curriculum based, but asking our faculty when they propose this partnership of how are you going to support the students uh, you know, socially, academically, through their transition? How are you going to catch them up with maybe what they might have missed outside of the curriculum as just being a major or in that program? So it gives them an opportunity to really reflect and think about how are you going to support the students in addition to how are we going to structure the curriculum to ensure they graduate in a timely fashion? So as you can imagine, that is no small feat. It's a, it's a no. pretty large product <laughs> nope. that we've been working on for a year. Um, and one that we're rolling out with a handful of community colleges first. And then our hope is that as we launch it and things go well, we'll expand it to more and more community colleges in our in our area. That's great. I, I'm writing everything down that you're saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. So if, if folks want to ask you about um, that and how they can start that or anything else, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my information is on the North Central College website, my my direct line here at work is 630-637-5807. And my email address is ncdefalco, that's D-E-F-A-L-C-O, at N-O-C-T-R-L E-D-U. Well, Nick, thank you so much again for joining us. And I wish you all the best um, with this upcoming yield season. And you're probably right in the thick of it. Um, but best of luck with this with this uh, cycle. And thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. And thank, thank you, thanks Nick. you for taking the time to make transfer priority. Right. You're already you're already helping elevate it to the listeners of this podcast and in effect, increasing and elevating transfer among higher education professionals. Happy to do it. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. are at the end of another great episode just two fantastic conversations uh both nick and andre really helped bring to light a lot of um really helpful things for us to think about and consider as we we all kind of continue to develop our own transfer recruitment strategies nathan what stood out to you 
I'll go back to the personalized attention that Nick uh, talked about in the interview. I really think that's valuable. Um, and I really think that how he set up a systematic um, way of making sure that they're supported um, on campus. Uh, I know we talked about in the interview, there are some things uh, along the lines of how to, how can the campus support transfer students? And it's not just on the admissions office. And I think mm -hmm. there's some definite um, uh, calls to action there that our listeners can take. And it's going to take a little bit more work because they're going to have to probably you know, jump to campus constituents and figure out ways to come together. But uh, mm -hmm. I think transfer admissions really needs to be a campus-wide um, endeavor that everybody's aware of. But unless you are at a school um, like North Central, which has a big population because they're in an urban area or a major metropolitan area um, or, you know, similar, similar size institutions, um, it can be difficult when you have a smaller population to get everybody on board and realize that they do um, have a place uh, in your strategy and then also on your campus, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really enjoyed just thinking about and talking about the, the barriers to this working better. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my thoughts are they're not popular on the college end of things, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But what will drag you down every time is when a student is told that some of the credits they have already taken don't count. Right. Wasted credits infuriate people. And I understand from the college perspective that one college's class is not the same as another. And sometimes the credits don't transfer. But I'm here to say our policymakers, they don't think that way. They think a freshman year is a freshman year and it should count. Um even if the even if the classes don't meet the the criteria that that our um, course catalog would have, and we can work internally to alleviate that and make it better, or we can wait for our policymakers to force it on us. But it it's coming. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And having worked at multiple institutions myself, mm -hmm. and I would say you're probably in that same boat, you can see how these do. There's so many similarities, and it really comes down to. Uh, nuanced differences. Um, and then there's not a trust between uh, different academic affairs offices that like, oh, mm -hmm. well, we do it better here than they do it over there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and you, it's, I don't know how we, how we slay that beast um, necessarily, uh, other than we just start to maybe do some consortial work. Um, and we start to put everything on one, you know, kind of all these courses next to each other and have somebody mm -hmm. actually look at them and say, no, these actually are fairly similar and they should count. Um, and a, a student should be able to have that count towards their overall graduation credit load. You know, one of the things I found most interesting working with transfer students is even if it wouldn't change their timeline to graduation, right? Mm -hmm. A class not counting infuriates them in right it, it it just maybe infuriates is the wrong word but it just leaves such a bad taste in their mouth um we we on our end as admissions folks we have got to work with our faculty to to diminish this as much as we can right i completely agree okay well that was another Nathan, great we what should we it? should end every episode that way with you completely agreeing took 22 episodes before that actually <laughs> happened so on episode number 44 we will do it again all right tiggy well uh, another great episode and i'm glad we got to this topic um and i'm looking forward to episode number 23 if you can believe it so i'm nathan and i'm Tej.
And that was the LaunchCast. Thanks, folks. And you were punching every word. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? Enrollment meant? I think that's what actually happened. Okay, this is, this is it. This is gonna be it.